Did you know that two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35? Thankfully, with keeps.com slash nerds, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. Keeps treatment starts at just $10 a month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. So, if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, just go to keeps.com slash nerds. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash nerds. Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Join me for the ultimate team mom deep dive. This is more than just a recap show. I'll scour the internet to bring you all the best drama that MTV didn't air. From police reports to deleted tweets, I've got the details on all the fights, breakups, and arrests of our favorite MTV train wrecks. If you think the moms bring the drama on TV, just wait until you hear what really happened. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hey guys, just quickly before we get started, I wanted to let you know that we're making some changes to our network. We are changing the network name, and what we're doing is bringing all of the podcasts uh, that are produced by Molly McAleer under one family. So we are, as I said, changing the name, which means the Patreon link has changed. I put it in my bio on Instagram, but just so you know, it's patreon.com slash V is in Victor 2 coming soon. So that's patreon.com slash V2 coming soon. Uh, obviously, that's going to change again once we release the new brand name. But basically, if you're a fan of Mother May Sleep With Podcast and you are a fan of Spelling Tea but Princesses Pod and bonus episodes that me, Troy, and Princess do, it's all going to be under one place. So look for us there. Hello, hello, everyone. How are you? You know, I'm good. I feel like this has become my podcast of ailments in that a lot of shit has been, like, wrong with my body lately. Between my back, which thankfully has been doing better the last two weeks, and my chronic allergies, which I've talked about on here, um, which still haven't gone away, can't remember if I talked about this on the podcast, but I was doing some Googling and I was reading some websites that what I think may be daily sinus headaches may actually be like low-grade migraines, which is a lot to take in. <laughs> it's not great. I have a terrible health insurance, so seeing a neurologist about migraines feels not realistic to me at this current day and age, but maybe one day. (laughs) I don't know. Um, my head hurts really bad today. It's just, but I, I honestly get a headache almost every day. So I'm just not sure how I'm supposed to, you know, keep living on planet earth. I don't know. It's like in the last six months, my health has like gotten bad. (laughs) I don't feel like I've ever had this many issues as I do now. And I really don't want this podcast to be all about my health issues. So that's all talk about it. Um, Yeah, that's it. Nothing really happened in Teen Mom World this week. It was actually a pretty slow week. David and Janelle are still not together. David still has not really violated the restraining order as far as we know. I, for one, am like 
pretty proud of Janelle. It's been what three to four weeks. Has it been? It hasn't been a month, has it? It's been like three full weeks since she's left him, and she still seems to have left him, and that's impressive and a long time. I haven't heard anything about when they'll be going to court for their full restraining order yet. I would imagine that that is soon, right? Like, it has to be soon because she got a temporary restraining order, so they need to have the permanent restraining order hearing. So that should be any time now, and I guess we'll find out probably when it happens, like after the fact, not before it happens. And I will definitely be curious to see about the outcome of that, but... The fact that Janelle is seemingly, like, really left him and isn't talking to him, although I guess we would have no way to know if they're talking to each other, but isn't on the land is pretty remarkable. It's been multiple weeks now, and that's that's big for Janelle. I really do think that this is it. I think that they're going to be broken up. Do I think that it's possible they could get back together? Like, yeah, of course it's possible. Of course it's possible because that's the nature of toxic relationships and it's the nature of Janelle. But do I think it's, like, going to absolutely happen and they're definitely getting back together? Like, no. I think that there is a good chance that they're really done and Janelle is really done with him. I also kind of wonder if maybe David is done with her. I don't I just, like, am shocked that she got the restraining order and that they seem to be sticking to it. So, Good for Janelle. Credit where credit is due. Still no word about her coming back on the show, but I hope that we hear soon, personally. <laughs> you know, I've decided I would like Leah to be fired and Janelle to take her place. Now, I know that's crazy. I know. I know the default answer for me has always been fire Chelsea, but okay. Chelsea's boring. Yes, we all know Chelsea's boring. I'm not going to say otherwise. I will say, though, that this anxiety stuff is giving me a lot. This is, oh my God, this is the worst sentence I've ever said in my life. This anxiety stuff is giving me a lot to criticize Chelsea for, and that's entertaining for me because you guys know I watch and do things so that I can criticize them. Did you see that meme that was going around a little while ago that was like a show on HGTV, but I just walk around and say, yuck, at people's houses, like, Jess, who listened to this, sent me that. Like, I think one other person sent me that too. And I was like, yeah, that's me. I just like to walk around and say yuck at things. Like, I'm just a naturally pessimistic person. I'm a naturally half uh, glass half empty person. I'm a naturally a person that looks at things and looks at how to criticize and be negative. It's, guys, it's just who I am. It's just how my brain developed. We could get into it. It's probably wired that way because of early childhood trauma and PTSD, but that's just how I am. And for me, what is now interesting about Chelsea is that there's stuff to criticize. Part of what I have not liked about Chelsea scenes in the past is that there wasn't even anything to critique. Like she just existed on screen. It wasn't interesting, but it also wasn't like infuriating or annoying. She just like existed and we just watched her like roll around on the floor with our kids. Like, there's nothing to talk about there. Now, I feel like that's where we are with Leah. I really am bored of Leah and Leah's storylines. Like, I don't care about Jeremy. Her kids, I mean, I feel like her kids get a lot of screen time. Like, is it just me? Or do we see way too much of the kids? 
That sounds rude, but here's the reality. The children on Teen Mom should be background players. They should pop in for a cute scene where they're being cute, and that's all that we have to say. Or we're like, haha, and like we laugh at the scenes. Like, I think Kale's kids are kind of the perfect example of this, and that they're like very much her supporting background characters. We never have scenes really revolving around them. Like, we just get a, a segment of Lincoln being cute or Isaac being funny or Lux being adorable. But we never have to, like, focus on Kale's boys. I feel like Leah's whole segment is just watching her kids do things, which is really fucking boring. And I say this as somebody that loves kids, but watching kids do things on TV is not entertaining. <laughs> Like, there's nothing fun about that. And Leah has very little adult drama. The Jeremy stuff is just stupid. It was fun last season when she was with Jason and her kids were dragging her. But Leah this season has been almost unwatchable to me in a way that is just because she's boring. Like, I don't know. It's like the kid's first day of school. But, like, no offense. Like, I don't care. Like, I truly don't care how any of these kids, like, do in school or what their day at school is like. (laughs) Am I alone in this? And just not, I like to pop in with the kids. They're cute. Oh, it's Aubrey's first day. And then it's like, haha, Aubrey, you had such a good day. And that's it. But I feel like I know too much about these girls' lives. I get too many scenes of them, not because I don't like their personalities or I don't think they're cute or any of that stuff. Like, I think they're entertaining enough. I'm sure if they were like my nieces, I would be over the moon about them and think they're so great. But I just don't care to watch shows about people's kids. I watch the shows where kids are involved to see how the parents are about them. So, yeah, I guess that's my issue with Leah's segments. Like, especially... Last week, was it last week when Allie got home from camp and the whole fucking episode of Leah's was just talking to Allie about camp? Like, I don't really care about Allie's camp. (laughs) I don't because that's something that an eight-year-old is participating in. And I don't care about things that eight-year-olds do because I'm not eight. (laughs) I don't really know how to explain it, but that's my issue with Leah this season. At least Chelsea, like has some things to talk about with her anxiety. She's putting a little more out there. Oh, apparently Cole and Chelsea went on a podcast this week, and I didn't listen to it, but I did read a recap about it. And the host of the podcast asked Cole, I really meant to listen to this, and then I just, I guess, totally forgot about it until literally this second. But the host of the podcast asked Cole what he used to do before he was on Teen Mom. And he said that he used to work construction. Now, I think that's an interesting way to answer a question. You know, if he, I don't know, if somebody like found out or only knew me from this podcast and was like, what did you used to do for work before you had your podcast? I would be like, oh, no, I still have a full-time day job doing what I do, which I, as you guys have probably figured out, I don't talk about on my podcast, like, except in general terms. And I don't really post about it online just because I'm not a fucking dummy. Um, imagine if I just like start posting like my fucking employer's name everywhere. <laughs> but my bosses actually know I have a podcast. My, um, my one boss is so funny. She wants me to help her daughter like do an Instagram, um, of me like reviewing her toys. Cause she thinks it'll make her daughter really happy. And 
I like told her how I do like my podcast Instagram and I told her I would help her. <laughs> I think it'd be a great idea. Her daughter's really cute. <laughs> but anyway, my bosses know I have a podcast, so it's not like you could call them and be like, Liz has a podcast and they would like be mad about it. I don't know. I'm just not stupid, so I don't post that type of stuff online. But if somebody asked me like, oh, well, what did you do before your podcast? I wouldn't be like, oh, well, before my podcast, I did X, Y, and Z. Because I still do X, Y, and Z every fucking day. You know, Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 5.30, I'm at X, Y, Z. So I think if I was Cole and somebody said, what did you used to do before Teen Mom? Wouldn't you think the answer would be, oh, well, I still work in construction. I just do Teen Mom as well. Like, wouldn't that be your answer? I think it's very bizarre that it's also possible Cole's just like weird and dumb and was nervous and just didn't answer correctly. But guys, I'm kind of like all in on my theory that Cole's quit his job and they're just not like saying it for the show. I, cause like, why wouldn't you quit your fucking job? If you were Cole, why would you every fucking day go to a fucking job where you have to be outside in the heat, in the cold, dealing with people when you are on a show and your wife is making four dollars to $500,000 a season, Cole at this point is probably making 100000 a season, right? Because this is his like fifth season on this show. Because Aubrey's not 10 now? Is Aubrey 10? Did Bentley just turn 11? No, I think Bentley just turned 10. So Aubrey's like 8 or 9, right? And he came on the show when Aubrey was like 5. So this is like his fourth season on the show. So I would imagine Cole is making seventy five dollars to $100,000 this season. Like, Cole's getting a good paycheck now. Like, let's not any of us forget that he's getting a good paycheck from MTV. And he... The itsy ritzy thing that they did was Chelsea and Cole. The diff eyewear thing was Chelsea and Cole. By the way, did I mention this last week that one of my listeners uh, made a Teen Mom cl- or Clue Teen Mom edition uh, board game like decoupage the whole thing? But that makes remember Rosie O'Donnell was fucking obsessed with decoupaging. <laughs> Does anybody else remember that but me? <laughs> One of my best friends, Megan, was also very into decoupaging and made me this, like, little box when I was, like, 15 that I think I still have. I need to find it. I had it until recently. But where was I? Oh, so I was talking about Rosie O'Donnell decoupaging. No idea how I got to Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, whatever. So the diff eyewear thing is Chelsea and Cole. He does his Instagram ads. Like, I feel pretty confident saying between, like, MTV and social media and brand collabs, Cole's making like anywhere from $150,000 to $200,000 a year. Like, why the fuck would you have a job? <laughs> why would you be away from your kid? Like, they have two really young kids. Like, why, why would you have a job? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> why would you go and slave away for the man when you're making six figures on your own and your wife is making like triple what you're making. It would just be crazy. <laughs> the only reason I can think is that like health insurance. Because even if you're making that much money, like it's so insane how much you have to pay for health insurance. You know, Medicaid for all, baby. But anyway, 
I really, truly, in my heart, believe that Cole has quit his job and that I will be vindicated shortly because it's going to become more and more obvious. And I think eventually they're going to just, like, casually mention it. I kind of vaguely remember they did that with Taylor when they were like, the the clothing line business is really picked up, so this is Taylor's full-time job now. It's like, why? it's the same thing. Like, why would Taylor have a fucking job? I don't know. I'm a person that does inherently does not like to work. I've discussed this. I'm not an ambitious person. Like, I'm a pretty naturally lazy person. Once again, this all ties into my negativity and the early childhood trauma of it all. Like, I, I get it. But I'm also 31 and, like, I am who I am, you know? It's okay. I love me as me. I don't have to be who I'm not. And part of that is that, like, I'm just not really an ambitious person. I'm not a person that loves to go to work. <laughs> And if I was making 200000 fucking dollars a year on social media, I would not be going to an office job. I just wouldn't. It doesn't make any sense. Why would anybody do that? Um, I just can't. Yeah, I can't. I truly can't imagine continuing, especially a construction job where he was working pretty long hours. Um, what exactly did he do at construction? Okay, so when he first came on the scene, they talked about him being a traffic engineer and I was like I literally was like holy shit this guy went to college to be an engineer and they talked about going to college so I assumed that he was an engineer who like came up with traffic plans and I was like damn like that's impressive (laughs) then I realized he was like a traffic control specialist which the internet told me meant he like held signs directing traffic and then Chelsea was saying he was like a project manager and so my assumption is that he probably works for a construction company and maybe doesn't do manual labor but is in charge of like controlling traffic on large sites so like if there's major this is literally my fan fiction of what Cole does by the way But I assume that if he's in project, like, if he's on the management level, that he would be in charge of deciding, like, on, like, a big highway traffic, how to best control the flow of traffic, big highway project, how to best control the the flow of traffic around construction sites. That's just my best guess based on the information that we've gotten. Um, But why would you do that? (laughs) Why would you do that if you didn't have to do that? I understand some people like to have a job. And the reality is, is that I actually wouldn't do well without a job because I'm a person that will sleep until 2 p.m. Like if I don't have to get out of bed, I just won't. And I really need a job so that I like get up and do something every day. Um, There are weekends where I just like don't leave my bedroom or my house because I don't know, I'm a naturally depressive, lazy person. And I just would not do good without a job, but I like to pretend like I can live in a world where I just wouldn't work. And if I was Cole, I just straight up wouldn't work. Just not work. Okay, let's get into this week's episode right after a quick break. So... Is it wrong if I just don't talk about Leah's segment this week? My notes are that I'm pretty sure the scene of her FaceTiming with Victoria was shot later because Leah's hair looked darker. 
she was in a sweatshirt and Victoria was like in a full-blown turtleneck. So I'm guessing that was shot sometime in the last week. Um, my other note is that Leah seems like she has to take the girls to school around 2.45 a.m. It, it has never not been pitch black out when Leah starts waking the girls up from school. And that Allie got a new aide. That's it. I don't have shit else to say. That's it. That's it. Nothing else. All right, let's go on to Kale. So, Kale is moving in this week. Did you guys notice? I'm just such a detective. I'm a continuity detective. No, I honestly only noticed this because I, like, happened to watch the previously on segments this week, this week which I never watch. And Kale absolutely toured the house with a realtor the same day that the beginning of this episode was shot. She's wearing the same shorts, same shirt. She just maybe pulled her hair back and put on fake glasses. By the way, for whatever reason, that shirt that Kale was really wearing, the striped one, like, I fucking love that shirt. I'd really like it in long sleeve. If you know where Kale got that shirt, find the exact link. And if it's available, DM it to me. <laughs> But yeah, she def- they definitely filmed that scene after the fact, which makes sense that like they're only it's like HGTV house hunters, you know, like they're only going to film like after you've bought the house. Like what would be the point of us like seeing a scene of a house that Kale didn't end up buying and they can just like do a quick walkthrough with a realtor and you can be like, this is great. This is great. This is great. Her house is such a McMansion, like such, such, such McMansion. It's not my taste. I, in my rich person fantasy, would probably never buy a McMansion. I guess it would really depend on where I live, but I am definitely a person that's into old homes. A thing about me is that I fucking, I love houses. Like I love real estate, I love houses. I can spend hours and hours and hours just trolling real estate sites. Um, My favorite thing to do is go <laughs> what I call house tours. <laughs> this sounds psychotic. Um, makes me a little sad. Uh, but so I go on what I call house tours, which just means I drive around or walk around and look at big houses. I used to, when I used to smoke pot in my car, which is very irresponsible and you shouldn't do that. My friend Allison and I, who actually, the day you guys will be listening to this is the two year anniversary of her death. So rest in peace, Allison. That's Uh, I can't. I'll start crying. But we used to uh, smoke pot and we would go on what I would call our mainline house tours. The mainline is uh, the very wealthy area outside of Philadelphia, the suburbs of Philadelphia. It encompasses like 15 towns, so it's a pretty large area. We live basically like in the first town outside of the mainline, so close to it but not in it. And we would go, we would just drive around and look at my favorite houses. When I lived in Palm, I didn't live in Palm Beach. When I lived in West Palm Beach and worked in Palm Beach, I would take long walks every, not every day, but often. I loved, well, yeah, every day in the mornings uh, for a while. I loved, loved, loved to walk in Palm Beach because I would just sneak around and look at all the different houses, which is much easier to do on foot because in Palm Beach, if you guys have never been there, which you probably haven't, because truly there's no reason to go to Palm Beach. Like, if you happen to be in South Florida, in West Palm Beach already, or I even Bo- if you're in Boca, like, don't worry about it. There's really nothing in Palm Beach. There aren't really restaurants. There's barely shop. There's some, sh- 
well, there's luxury shopping. That's not true. It's going to be like, there's barely shopping, but like they actually have every luxury store you can think of. But um, there's really not a reason to go to Palm Beach. But all of the mansions in Palm Beach are behind these huge hedges. Um, I can't think of the exact word for them, but they're ginormous hedges. So when you're driving, it's very hard to see most of the houses. They're not set far back, though, because it's just a little barrier island that is, you know, at the widest part, probably a half a mile long. Like Palm, island, Palm Beach is pretty, pretty small especially like the town of Palm Beach and the mansions are when you're driving around kind of hard to see because of the hedges but when you're on foot you can see the houses because there is you know like a gateway entrance or on the driveway that you would have to like completely come to a stop in your car to notice uh so I used to go on Palm Beach house walks and like when my best friend came to visit I took her on a Palm Beach house tour, which was just us going for a walk and looking at the houses. Um, my same best friend lives in the Richmond area and by her, a park where her kids play, like me, her and her husband will take the kids to the park so that then Thea and I can go on uh, a house tour <laughs> and look at the houses in the area. I just like love, love, love looking at houses Obviously, I love going inside of houses, but my version of house tours don't usually involve going inside of them. It's just gawking from the outside. I love to critique what people did with their additions, what their siding's like, what the door looks like, what their um, window trimmings. I can't think of the fucking word for it right now. Um, Yeah, I just love houses and looking at houses. So how did I get here? Kale. Kale's McMansion. <laughs> Look at that save. Um, so yeah, Kale's McMansion is, I mean, it's fine. It's a huge house. It's huge. Uh, it's like, I think I, when I looked online, I think it's like 6,000 square feet. Like that's very large. For comparison, I grew up in a house that was about like 3,200 square feet and that house was like very reasonably sized for my family. My four-bedroom house growing up was like 3,200 square feet. So Kale's house is 6,000 square feet. It's double the size of the house that I grew up in. Um, It's just huge. I would bet in that 6,000 square feet, there's probably like a large sitting room that's not the living room. There's like a game room that's not the family room. You know, it's just, it's crazy big. I'm sure if she can afford to stay there forever, she will. And... I just think it's, like, ugly and I wouldn't particularly want... That wouldn't be my ideal house if I had $9,000, $900,000, even if I had $9,000, guys, to buy a house. (laughs) If I had $900,000 to buy a house, I personally wouldn't want a McMansion type of house. I love, like, Victorian homes. I love houses from the early 1900s. I like some cool mid-century modern houses or, like, an Art Deco inspired house. Like, I like old houses. I am not that into open floor pans. I don't dislike them, and I definitely see why people like them, but I love, like, an old house with a lot of rooms (laughs) and a lot of doors. (laughs) Uh, So, Kale's house, like, it's fine. I'm not, like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it's not a nice house because it's a McMansion. It's very large. It probably has six bedrooms in it. I would imagine if it's 6,000 square feet, I would guess it's like five bedrooms plus a smaller room that could be an office or a bedroom if you needed it to be. 
I just personally love, like, if I was buying a huge house, I would want, like, an old stone house or an old brick house. I'm just not into the McMansion. How many fucking times can I say that? I was really surprised they showed the outside of her house. If I was a reality TV star, I would have a stipulation in my contract that they had to show a fake outside of the house. That Like, if I was a reality TV person, I would be buying my house. First of all, first of all, I wouldn't announce that I bought this house for like three months. So it would be really hard to find on Zillow. Second of all, I would buy the house in an LLC with my eight. My attorney being the registered agent on the LLC, so my name wouldn't have to be anywhere on the deed. Um, I worked in real estate and legal real estate in Palm Beach, and that's how most really rich people bought their houses. Uh, it was like sometimes you li- like you would know this house is this celebrity's house, right? Like you just were told like, oh, so-and-so celebrity lives there. And you were told, like, my boss would tell me this is a celebrity's house. And he's lived in Palm Beach for years. He's a credible source. And then if you would look up that address online in the property records, which especially in Florida is all very public record and extremely easily accessible um, on the deed, it's bought under an LLC. And the registered agent is a lawyer. And their name isn't like anywhere on there for privacy reasons. So I would buy it so it was, like, extremely hard to tell that I was the owner and I would not let anybody put my fucking house on television. I don't know. And I'm not – I don't think I'm a paranoid person. I'm not a person that, like, cares a ton about safety. I'm not like that. But I would be very wary of having anybody that watches my television show know where I live. That would really freak me out. And Kale's house was easy to find because it was found online, like, immediately. <laughs> I found it. Well, like, I somebody on Reddit was like, I just found it on Zillow, but obviously you're not allowed to link to it, rightfully so. And was like, if you just look on Zillow, and I just looked in the town that I knew she, buy, she bought in, put recently sold, and selected a pool. And it came up. <laughs> okay, uh... Kristen, her assistant. Oh, right, right. Okay, so last week I was like, I don't fucking understand what's going on with her friend calling her about the house. She's getting the house. Apparently that friend Kristen is her assistant. So here's what I think happened. I think MTV wanted to streamline this whole thing. And Kale's offer had been accepted before they went to Hawaii and they were in escrow when they were in Hawaii and the call that Kristen gave her was probably like, we're ready to close. Like that's probably the timeline. And Kristen had in the house, like, all of those infinity roses lined up, like, boxes of them. And I guess they're roses that live for, like, a year or for, I would think forever because they're called infinity roses. But I feel like I've read that they only last for a year. I don't know. I don't really want to know because I would never buy them. I hope nobody ever buys them for me. They seem like such a weird waste of money. And they're fucking expensive. I actually want to see how much they cost. Okay, they last for a year and extra large boxes of them, which looks like what they were, are $250. If somebody fucking spent $250 on boxes for me instead of either, or a box of roses for me instead of either, like, just giving me the cash or buying me something that I would actually like, I would not be pleased. But I'm assuming that those were spawn conned to them. You know, it was like, put these on MTV and you can get them for free. So, welcome home to Kale. The thing that I really want to discuss is, oh, one, she is keeping her first house in 
putting it, she wants to list it for rent. They do live, obviously, in a military area, which is why they live there. There's a very large Air Force base in Dover. So I would imagine there is a market for nice rental homes. But one, that house is really nice. And I don't, I personally wouldn't want to rent out my nice home because rentals get beat the fuck up as most of the people living, listening to this, at least I'm a renter. Most of the people, a lot of the people listening to this are probably renters. As we all know, like, renting your house causes a lot of wear and tear on it. Renters do whatever the fuck they want. Cousin Julia, who, you know, I've realized that Julia is my George Glass and that she seems to not be real. And she even texted me this week laughing, saying that she loved that no one knew who she was. (laughs) But Julia rents out her house in the summer because she lives at the beach year-round. And uh, we, like, have seen the mess that people have made. Somebody once flushed a diaper down her toilet. Um, Growing up, our family beach house, we would rent for two weeks a year. And uh, people, one of our, one year, one of our renters picked up our dining room table that I believe my uncle made because he's a carpenter. Julia, did your dad make that table? Like, I feel like he did. If not, he definitely, like, refinished it one year. Like, it was a, a big, large table. I could see probably eight people. So it was, a lo- like, a long dining room table. And they picked up that table, brought it in, like, downstairs because we had an upside-down house. So our kitchen was upstairs at the beach, which is pretty common at beach houses for I don't know why, but it is. And they brought that downstairs into our garage and used that as their beer pong table all weekend or all week, which is actually nice them because they weren't playing beer pong on the carpeted floor <laughs> upstairs. Uh, we had renters that on their last night had like a blowout party that the cops even came to and then they just didn't pick up before they left. <laughs> runners are just like tough on the house and even if they're like not on purpose doing something shit gets broken you just don't care that much because it's not yours you don't own it and I am a little surprised to see that Kale wants to rent that house and also being a landlord uh sucks it can be really annoying I would wonder if Kale would hire a property management company to deal with that. But I personally, like my last boss was a landlord. He had apartments that he rented out. Well, he had uh, a couple office buildings. So like our office was in an old building and he rented out obviously all the offices upstairs and then downstairs with storefronts and then another building that had apartments and um, storefronts. And it's really fucking annoying being a landlord. (laughs) You know, like you're on call 24-7 basically, like shit is always breaking. You have to fix stuff even if you don't necessarily have the money for it. So if something blows at this house, even if you don't really have the budget for it, like it has to get fixed and it is definitely like a hassle and I'm surprised that Kale wants to take on that hassle. I just am surprised to see that Kale isn't selling this house. I don't really understand why she wants to carry two mortgages. Although, if I'm remembering correctly, her and Javi got that house with a military loan. Don't quote me on this. I don't know exactly how it works, but I believe you get 0% interest. And now that I'm thinking about it, I guess I wouldn't be shocked if she put a lot of money cash down on that house. Her mortgage is pretty low and she doesn't have any interest. That it's not a bad idea to keep it. 
Um, but I don't know. I was just pretty surprised that she was keeping that and listing it. But the other thing that I want to talk about with Kale is the canvas prints that she has are deranged. We all agree with this, right? Like that the can like first of all, canvas pronounced like I don't particularly like them. I think just in general, they're not really my style. I think having one or two whatever in your house, like it's fine. Like I wouldn't walk into someone's house and well, in my head I might, but I wouldn't be like, yuck, a canvas print, like disgusting. But I think that not having like a frame adds a lot to a picture. And I understand the convenience and the ease of canvas prints and why people like canvas prints and why people get canvas prints. And I get it. Like, I, I totally get why they exist. But I think that in general, I just don't particularly like love the look of them. I think if, without a frame, it's really missing a lot. So just in general, I'm not a huge canvas print fan. Kale has roughly 8,000 canvas prints. She filled up a fucking dining room, lined the fucking walls with her canvas prints. Dude, what the fuck was that? And like, I understand why she wanted to have pictures of the kids up because she was like, well, they'll come home. They'll know it's their home. It'll feel stable. Whatever. That's not what I'm knocking for. She had so many fucking professional canvas photos of her family. It's unwell. It's not right. I'm sorry. That is... <laughs> I know why she's doing it because I have a feeling Kale probably never... You know, her and Susie never took a picture in her entire life. Like, she probably has no pictures of Susie. I think that this is an instant of... um An instance of Kale reliving her childhood through doing shit with her kids. And I think professional pictures is one of those. I also think that Kale probably gets a lot of free professional pictures done. I also think just in general, professional pictures seem so much more popular these days. I feel like I have friends that get them done multiple times a year. Like, like I seriously know people are getting like four fucking professional photo sessions done a year. I don't really get it. Um, but I'm also from a family that did, we did <laughs> one professional photo shoot my whole childhood. I think my parents got it as a Christmas gift. I seem to remember my uncle Steve giving it to us as a Christmas gift. And ours were not like cute on the beach. We also didn't do like holiday cards and stuff like that. So, you know, also my parents were like fucked up. So, but just in general, like I, my extended family didn't really do them either, like on either side. Um, and, like, and this was in an era before, like, Jews really were sending out holiday cards. They, it's, like, become more popular now that Jewish people send out, like, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holiday cards, uh, to kind of fit in, if you will, but I don't think most of my mom's family was doing, like, a yearly Hanukkah card. Uh, but in my extended family, none of them were doing, like, professional pictures. So it wasn't just, like, part of my life, really. We did one, and I remember we, like, went to the photo studio and, like, wore khaki pants and navy polo shirts. And we had, like, so we had one large picture. I think I was, like, 12 around this time. And it just, like, hung in our living room. <laughs> my mom hated it because she, my mom's not very photogenic. She hates all pictures of, her, pictures of herself, which means that when she's taking a picture, I think she, like, gets into her head Funnily enough, cousin Julia is the same. I always laugh that as soon as I pull out a camera, she's like, what do I do with my face? My mom is the same way. 
Um, so my mom, I think, just doesn't like pictures, so we didn't really have professional pictures. And I had some friends growing up who had, like, a lot of professional pictures done. They would, like, do a beach picture every year where they, like, wore khakis and a white shirt. And my one friend, Kim, growing up, her extended family, like, her mom's side of the family, took a picture together, like, every year at Sears or whatever. And, like, walking up her staircase, it was all of their pictures. Like, they had so many family pictures. But those were, like, going to Sears to get a picture, not, like, a photographer coming to your house and, like, doing a whole photo shoot or you're at the beach or whatever people do these days. So, in general, the concept of, like, multiple professional pictures to me is just not something that I'm used to, but I understand why people like them. And if I had kids, I would hope I would do it more often than my parents did, but not as often as Kale does. Uh, My sister-in-law seems to be doing a good job. They've done, my nephew's two and a half now, and I think they've done two or three Like, I think they did one when he was really little. They did one when he was about a year, and they just did another one. Like, I think once a year, once every 18 months is, like, pretty nice. It seems like Kale's doing them multiple times a year, and every time she does one, she gets a canvas picture. Who needs that many pictures of just their family and their house? I don't know. I don't really get it, guys. I'm not... It confuses me a little. (laughs) I think this is, like, my broken family... (laughs) My dysfunctional family speaking <laughs> and me not, like, completely understand understanding, like, healthy families and the way they do things. <laughs> First of all, I'm trying to imagine my parents <laughs> getting along for a family photo shoot every year would have been a fucking nightmare. Like, in my head, I can perfectly see my dad just, like, screaming at everybody about it and how awful it was. <laughs> it would have been, it would not have been good, but... I don't know. Kale lining up all of her canvas printouts. First of all, the queen of canvas printouts, as we all know, is Sheena Shea from Vanderpump Rules, who got them with her wedding package, apparently, because she had them all over her fucking house of, like, just her and her wedding dress. (laughs) And Kale really has taken inspiration from Sheena Shea. What a fucking mess. What a mess. But yeah, Kale's in her house. The boys are thrilled. She's thrilled. You know, Mazel Tov. What else is there to say? Like, Mazel Tov, you got a house. Like, I'm happy for you. Right? Like, I'm not mad about it. But the, it's also just like, they bought a house. There's not that much to say. Okay, let's talk about Jade. Um, Jade decided not to bail out her parents, which I thought was good. She says, Sean is doing better, which I don't know. He does look like he's doing okay, but Sean also is quite thin. So for me, it's hard to tell uh, if Sean looks like he's doing okay. I know with my ex-boyfriend is also quite thin, but I could always tell when he was using, if I was being honest with myself, because like immediately as he started using like, I can't really describe it, but his eyes would get very hollow and there was this thing about his jaw and like the way his jaw looked. But if you didn't know him, like, you wouldn't be able to pick that out. I just knew it because I was with him for nine million years and, you know, would see the up and down and, like, when he wasn't using his eyes and jaws, his eyes and his jaw did not look like that. So it's hard for to tell with Sean because we don't know Sean, <laughs> really, you know, we don't. I don't know what Sean Sober looks like. I don't know what Sean Using looks like. And it's not like he is dropping 20 pounds immediately because he's already quite thin. 
So, yeah. I hope Sean is doing better. I... I think that Sean and Jade are just, like, very toxic, but I don't think necessarily either is a bad person. I think Sean... Sean is somebody that's easy for me to have sympathy for when he's speaking and, like, using the right words. I will say something about Sean, and I noticed that this episode, is that he's pretty good with his apology words. Like, Sean knows how to say that I'm sorry and I fucked up and kind of say what you want to hear. And I kind of am falling for it. Even though, like, in my head, I'm like, Sean's a fucking deadbeat loser. Like, there, Sean doesn't have anything going for him. You know, by the way, like, it's incredible how many people on this show, like, don't have jobs. <laughs> Just incredible. It's, I mean, like, the young and pregnant people, because I don't think they're making that much money yet. I guess, and, like, Sean's not doing you know, social media stuff, I don't think. Although he could be. I do follow him on social media. I see sometimes, like, his stories, but he doesn't come up on my Instagram ever. So, here's something I want to talk about. Jade says in this episode that her grandmother opened a restaurant and that she's working there on the weekends for extra money. However, as many of you will remember, she had posted on social media that she was opening a restaurant, a family business. And it really made it sound like she was opening a restaurant for her family members to run, right? Like, this wasn't that long ago. I think it opened shortly before Mother's Day. So I had already been posting. When did I start posting on Instagram? I guess I started posting on Instagram around the time of the the fight that I went to in Atlantic City because I definitely was posting for that. So it was probably like last October. So I definitely posted on face or on Instagram about this restaurant that Jade was opening. And the way that she was talking about it on Instagram was very much like I am opening a restaurant. Because I remember thinking like you, you're a fucking idiot. Don't go into business with your family. Don't open a fucking restaurant. Like all of it was very confusing to me. And I was under the impression, though, that this was Jade's restaurant, but on the show, she said my grandma recently opened a restaurant and made her seem very far removed from it. However, I guess that makes sense that Jade is playing a certain role on the show, and even though the fourth wall is broken, as we've discussed, they haven't really broken it that much in Jade's segments because most of this was filmed for Young and Pregnant, um... And they shot around the producers for Young and Pregnant. Although there was a producer in Sean's segment this week. And I was like, whoa, whoa. Like, it came, it, she seemed very out of place in Jade's se- in Jade and Sean's segment, the producer. Because they have very little fourth wall breaking. Which, I mean, it makes sense. It was shot for Team Mom, Young and Pregnant. And also Jade has a lot going on and doesn't necessarily need the producers stepping in on camera. But I guess they did that because they wanted... They want, they don't want us to think that Jade can open a restaurant. You know what I mean? Like, they don't want us to think that Jade is angel investing her grandparents and aunt and uncle's restaurant. (laughs) Because they want us to think that Jade can't afford $500 to bail her mom out of jail. Like, that's the character that Jade needs to be. And we can't have it any other way. And I guess that makes sense. But Jade made me really sad in this episode when she was working on Mother's Day and just was, like, so overwhelmed. Jade is a hard worker, and I'm worried about, I mean, Jade is very much a kale, right? Like, we know this. She has struggled her whole life. She is very independent. And I worry for Jade about where her 
hardworking attitude will go when she starts to receive massive amounts of money for doing very little. Now, I'm not saying she shouldn't receive those that amount of money because I'm a person that thinks everybody on Team Mom should be paid even more because it's so, they're giving up so much of their privacy. I'm not one of those people that's like, don't pay them girls, so it'll be a good show. Like, there are so many Reddit posts where people will be like, here's a proposal, don't pay anybody so we can see them struggle. And it's like, what? I don't think people think about when they say that, like how fucking ludicrous that is. But I, I'm worried about Jade, like, getting fast cash because I think like Kale, she's somebody that's always had to work for it. And I really wonder what her mentality is going to be like, you know, five years. If, if T-Mom 2 goes on for another five years and she's just making like hand over fist money, uh, how entitled she's going to become. Because I think that's Kale's biggest issue is like, Kale truly acts like she's never had to work a day in her life, which is so weird because she was such a hard worker in earlier seasons and Jade is such a hard worker and it just really, it would be a shame if Jade lost that, basically. Although I guess Jade also has the advantage of having a few years on Kale. I think Jade is 23 now. I think she was 22 in the first season. So she's four plus years older than Kale was when Kale first started, uh, Team Mom 2. So, right? I don't know. I don't know exactly. Kale is probably 17 or 18 on Team Mom 2. But Jade is definitely older than Kale was. So maybe she has a little more maturity. I just worry. I worry for her. Um, I'm worried about Sean watching the baby. (laughs) Quite worried about that. Quite, quite, quite worried about that. But I think that this is going to be a long time battle for Jade. Uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of on and off, back and forth going on with Jade and Sean. And that's it for them. Who should we talk about next? Should we talk about Brie? Okay. I have been trying to piece together what the fuck happened between Brie and John. And this is my best bet. I think that, as I discussed last week, like, the long distance thing was never really working for them in general. But here's really what I think happened. I think that the Brie never really trusted John, but she, like, didn't really realize it. The cheating pregnancy rumors came out. She chose to ignore them and go on a trip with John to, where did they go? The Dominican Republic. I think that while she was there, she was kind of able to put it on the back of her head because they were on a fantasy vacation. They were probably just drinking and fucking and having fun. And there was very little talk of, like, their relationship and trust and seriousness, except for, like, the one scene filmed by MTV. You know, the rest of the time was probably just, like, smoking weed, getting drunk, having sex, just, like, full on vacation. Um, And as most people know, like, on vacation, you don't think about the real stuff going on. So I feel like Jade, or excuse me, Brie, had these trust issues, went on vacation with him, thought it was better because they had such a good time on vacation got home, kind of having trust issues, but not really thinking about it, living her life. Then they went to New York. And when she got to New York, she realized, I don't trust him. I don't want to make an effort with his family. I don't want to integrate our families. I don't want to be with him. I think that for whatever reason, she was just too scared to say that, maybe too worried to say that. And I really think that like, once she got back from New York, she was like done being with John. So in this episode, we find out that Brie has bought her house. She, as we've discussed, she bought a townhouse. 
Um, she said I had two living rooms, but I looked at the floor plan and I'm not sure what she means by that. I wonder if she meant like a living room in a dining room because in her apartment, it's probably like, you know, one large area. So I wonder if she meant like it has two separate areas. Um, I don't remember seeing two living rooms in their floor plan, but also it's possible I didn't find the right floor plan, even though like, I mean, I did, but you know, anything is possible. I love that we're supposed to believe that she's just casually announcing to Brit and why MTV is there that she bought a whole fucking house in cash, <laughs> which by the way, she bought the house in cash. Um, and Brit's like, yeah, I'm proud of you. <laughs> like, it was like, <laughs> there's no way that Brit didn't know about that beforehand, that Brie was about to lay down $230,000. <laughs> Buying the house in cash, I think, was incredibly smart for Brie, you know, saw a lot of people online criticizing that buying a house in cash isn't a great investment for a lot of people because, I don't know, I'm not a finance person, but basically it makes more sense to pay out over time and something with interest rates and using that money for an investment. When someone who knows what they're talking about explains it, I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But guys, this is Brie. Like, Brie is not going to a financial planner and saying, Hey, um, what is the smartest way for me to buy this house? Could you take, I'm going to buy it on a mortgage and then we can use this other money to invest in the stock market. Like, could you do that for me? Like, that's not the reality for Brie. Like when people talk about investments and what are smart investments and what's the best way to invest money and good debt and bad debt and all that shit, like they're not necessarily talking about Brie. Brie is in her mid-20s. She has got come into a lot of cash via MTV, and that cash is not going to last forever, and she does not seem to have a whole ton of financial literacy. I mean, that's, I don't know, actually. I have no idea. Maybe she has a fuck ton of financial literacy, but when people talk about, like, if it's a good investment to buy your house in cash or not, like, I think when it comes to Brie and Brie's life and Brie's situation and Brie's earning potential, like, this was a good, good plan for her. She'll own that house. She just has to pay her HOA and property tax every year or every month, whatever. And it it just makes sense for her. Uh, I saw people criticizing, like, well, why would she buy a townhouse? But the reality is, is this is, Roxanne is sick. She has lupus. It's three women. Like, do they want to maintain a yard? They get to use the pool in the park. And it's just, I think it makes a lot of sense for her to buy a townhouse. Uh, she said online that she, this really the main goal of this house is that it's Roxanne's retirement home and that Roxanne will be able to live there forever and that Brie will eventually buy another house for her and the kids. However, of course, in this episode, she was saying that she doesn't want the kids to move, but I'm sure she just means like in a year. She doesn't want them to move twice within a year. Um, I'm sure her own house is like a more long-term goal. I think that buying this house for her mom and her sister was a great plan, but I do think it brings up the reality that she is never going to uh, be able to move a man into the home that she just bought, right? Like, she's just not. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, like... Are they a little codependent? Yeah, they're very codependent. Is it a bad thing that Brie bought a house that her mom and her sister are going to live in with her and her girls? Like, no, I don't think it is. But I think the reality is, is that it's going to be harder for her to get serious with anybody because 
then what? She's going to move out of the house that she owns? And when she said to John, well, you can't move in with my mom and my sister, it's like, well, (laughs) maybe, like, that's going to have to be your reality. If you get with a guy, like, he's going to have to move in with your mom and your sister if you're going to be living with your mom and your sister. Uh, I think maybe what she was saying out loud was not, like, my plan is in five years to buy a home of my own that I live in without my mom and my sister, and that's when I want to be serious with someone. I don't know. I think it's very obvious that Brie bought this house intending to break up with John or had already broken up with John and just maybe hadn't told MTV yet. But who boy was that awkward watching that and watching Brie just be like, so I bought a house and I just wasn't thinking about you when I did and I don't think we're going to live together. That was really awkward. I was cringing through that. I kind of hope that's the last we see of John because it's obvious that they're done. And we don't need to sit through awkward, weird talks anymore between them. Lewis shows up next week, which like, who knows? Who knows? Bree says, which I thought was weird, let's promise to take our time. And John is like, what? Sorry, guys. I didn't tell my mom I was recording my podcast. And she just started vacuuming in the living room, which is, like, right next to... Not the living room. The laundry room, which is literally right next to my room. So you just heard that, and I had to ask her to stop. Um, But Bree says that she's not in a rush. She doesn't want to be in a rush. Which is just a truly crazy thing to say with someone who you've been pressuring to uproot his life and move to Florida for however long she's been doing that. Just break up with him, Brie. Just break up with him. John was like, what? (laughs) You could tell John was very caught off guard. I have a feeling next week is where she's going to be like, John and I broke up, which let's hope. Okay, let's talk about Chelsea. And this is what I mean by at least we have stuff to criticize her with now. (laughs) Because I got some things to criticize for. So, it starts out with her friend Laura coming over in her Chelsea DeBoer shirt. And Chelsea's saying, like, she has really bad anxiety for this event that she's having at Laurie Bell's the next day. Um, she wants to permanently work with Laurie, so she really wants Laurie to be happy. Fine, normal. Of course, you have anxiety or a little stress about that. She says that she doesn't like the attention straight on her. Okay, okay, getting there. Then she says she's worried that no one will show up. And her friend is like, well, I'm coming. The kids are coming. Your parents are coming. Cole's parents are coming. Like, well, she kept going, that's your tribe. That's your tribe. That's your tribe. But basically being like, yeah, people will be there. How come nobody says to Chelsea when she's having these moments where she's worried no one will buy the diaper bag? She's no one will sh- worried no one will show up at it's or at Lori Bell's. How come nobody says to her? Hey, Chelsea, you're really fucking famous in the state of... Where do they live? South Dakota? They live in South Dakota, right? Why can't I never remember if it's South or North Dakota? Sioux Fall, North Dakota. I'm going to check that right now. <laughs> okay, I asked my Alexa, and she agrees with me uh, that it's in South Dakota. So how come nobody says to her, Chelsea, you're the most famous person in the state of South Dakota? You have over 5 million Instagram followers. Like, people are going to show up to a signing that you have. You're actually 
quite beloved. You're by far the most famous and successful person that's on these Teen Mom series. Well, I guess Fair is probably the most famous, but you're the most successful and beloved person that's on any Teen Mom show. People are going to come. How come nobody says that to her? Um, I also think that part of the issue with Chelsea is that this is the first thing in her life, this Laurie Bell's fashion designing, which is a really generous way to talk about what she's doing, but I guess I'm in a generous mood. I think the reality is, is that this is the first thing in Chelsea's life that she really genuinely feels excited to do and wants to do. I think that she has never had like a passion for anything except maybe being a mom and obviously she's had extreme career success with the show Teen Mom and has made oodles and oodles of money but I think that's probably just something that she's been doing since she was you know 17 years old MTV has been there and it's not something that she's had to put a ton of effort into and they come to her house and they kind of do whatever she wants to do and she's essentially in charge and she's the boss and she kind of has total control over what they film and what they don't film what she says on camera what anybody else says on camera like I really think that she doesn't view teen mom as like a job like obviously she views it as a job but it's not something that she is like passionate about I don't think any of them are passionate about it and it's just something that's been there like for so many years she doesn't have to put effort into teen mom so I think that she is like kind of drowning in being a stay-at-home mom I think it's way way harder for her than she will ever admit I think she's having a lot of issues with having two little kids Apparently, her and Cole said they want at least one more kid, maybe two more kids on the podcast they were on. And it's like, just stick to these two. Give yourselves five years. (laughs) Like, you truly just give yourself some more time. So I think she's just, like, really hyped this Lori Bell stuff up in her head to be so important because she's, like, genuinely passionate about it and has probably never really felt this in her entire life, which is making the anxiety ten times worse. So the big scene of this episode is that Chelsea has terrible anxiety on the way to the event. She announces that she meditated that day, which like, okay, love meditation. I'm a big fan of meditation. I think meditation is great. But like if you have, oh, earlier in the scene, Chelsea describes her anxiety as debilitating, which is like very concerning, at least for me. Like, I'm really concerned when somebody describes their anxiety that way. And Chelsea is, she is, oh, so she says she's meditating, which, like, I think that's a great step. I think it's a big help. But meditation isn't going to cure you of your anxiety, probably. And it's not going to be the thing that cures you in the moment. Um, I think, when is she going to therapy, you know? When is she starting therapy? She desperately needs it. So she's in the car and she's like, I can't even talk. I can't even talk. I need to listen to my headphones. I need to listen to my headphones. Like, just like so wound up so tightly. And you can tell everybody else in that car, well, Cole and Aubrey, are just like completely on edge as a result. So Chelsea's like, I need to stop at the gas station. I need to pay. And as they pull in, Aubrey, in such a little kid way, is like, can I get a tiny, tiny, tiny snack? And Chelsea kind of snaps at her and is like, no, Aubrey, we're going to be there in five minutes. Like, you don't need to get a snack. That's totally fine. I saw some people being like, how dare she snap on Aubrey? But like, please, 
show me a parent that hasn't snapped on a child for asking for a snack in an annoying time. Also, I just thought it was so cute that she was like, can I get a teeny tiny little snack? Like, that's just such a funny way for, like, a nine-year-old to ask for a snack from the gas station because they know they're not supposed to be asking for a snack. So they just ask for a teeny tiny one. Aubrey's cute. Um, And Chelsea is kind of curt with her, but, like, it's fine. I Personally, I thought Chelsea, it was, the way that Chelsea spoke to her wasn't what I found problem ultra problematic in this scene. So Chelsea gets out of the car to run into P. Watson drops like a toy. So Aubrey gets up out of her third row seat and kind of walks towards Watson, the second row, picks up the toy. And this is what really bothers me. So Cole turns around and is like, Aubrey, please, I need you to sit down, please. Mom seriously just needs you to sit down and be calm. Okay. Okay. You need to be calm. Can we just calm down? This I felt was not good. This was real. I know it sounds dramatic. Like, this was so bad. Like, Aubrey's not being scarred for life by this. But I think that Cole is, first of all, exhausted, uh, like, dragging Chelsea through life. Because I think Cole's number one job in life is to, like, be Chelsea's biggest cheerleader. Because I don't think Chelsea can get out of bed in the morning without Cole being like, Chelsea, you are the most amazing person in the whole world. Like, you are so amazing. Like, you you should get up and, like, be such a hot, amazing wife. Like, I think that Cole spends 24-7 just, like, in constant Chelsea praise mode, making sure that Chelsea is taken care of and Chelsea is okay. But for, for him to tell Aubrey to calm down when Aubrey was extremely calm, like, Aubrey was on her perfect behavior, basically, Um, And then to frame it as, like, mom needs you to do this when Aubrey clearly knows that Chelsea's having anxiety. I mean, they've openly talked about it with Aubrey. Aubrey's talked to her about, like, needing to go to therapy. And I think for Cole to take on, like, Cole is clearly walking on eggshells at all time. But then for him to pass it on to Aubrey and basically expect Aubrey not to trigger Chelsea's anxiety is not great. Like, it's, they're just not... I don't think it's good that the whole family is catering to Chelsea's anxiety that she's not seemingly getting any help for as far as we know. Do I think it's good that she's meditating yet? Do I think it's good that she's listening to those like uh, audiobooks, the guided meditation audiobooks? Like, yeah, of course that's good. But maybe Cole needs some therapy. Like for him to snap at Aubrey that she needs to calm down when she was not acting out at all I think was a real misstep and I think it's kind of a look into the unhealthy family dynamics that have uh basically bloomed because Cole is Chelsea's number one enabler and yes man and hype man and biggest fan in the whole world and that all of their moods then revolve around how Chelsea's feeling And I don't think that's healthy. Like, I think that kids, of course, like, understand if their parents have anxiety. And I think to an extent, like, every parent has turned around and been like, mom's not in a good mood. Like, can you just stop? Like, I think that's totally normal for a dad to do. But I think that with Aubrey particularly, like, that would just, I don't know, it was just shitty, honestly. And it, I think for me, the hardest part is that it doesn't seem to be getting any better Chelsea's anxiety. And she doesn't really seem to be doing um, any therapy (laughs) to help get better. And I also don't understand why, like, okay, like, if Chelsea 
has such bad anxiety that she's debilitated and can't leave the house, then why is she taking on all this extra stuff that involves her meeting with fans? You know? I just don't get it. Chelsea also looked crazy. Did you guys notice this? But not, like, her mental state. Like, her makeup and her hair looked so bad. I, uh, all I want in life is for Chelsea to get a make under. It's all I want. So, Lori Bell's was packed. There were a ton of people there. Chelsea took a million pictures. They sold their flannels. Of, as, of course, it would go because Chelsea is famous and they live in not a large place. And when a, a famous person says that they're going to show up for a meet and greet for free, like, people come. <laughs> oh, I just think, also, Lori Bell, I have a real problem with Lori Bell as an institution. <laughs> By that, I mean I hate her hats. I find Lori Bell, like, very rough around the edges in a way that's, like, not very endearing to me. Does that make sense? All right. Yeah, Chelsea is just, I think it's just hard to watch because we know Aubrey is, like, so kind of involved with Chelsea and Cole and, like, knows more than a normal eight-year-old should and she's such a good kid and I think that she gets the shit under the stick a lot and that's hard to see. All right, let's talk about teen mom, young, and pregnant. Let's start with Brie. I'm just going to go in the order that I wrote them in. Um, so Brie finds out that this guy is the dad. I'm a little disappointed in Brie and her storylines and how it's panned out because I think the missing factor is Milo, who, as we know, used to be Danae, her ex-boyfriend, who was such a dynamic, charismatic, look-at-me character. Now, if Milo comes back on this show, I will be fucking thrilled. But I think that Brie's segments since Milo has left, um, Brie is just not that endearing to watch. She's not that entertaining. It's a very low energy zone when we're in her segments. And it's bad that, like, the thing that I want is for her abusive boyfriend to come back. Like, I understand that that's bad. But as a viewer, like, not much is drawing my eyes to Brie, you know? So, uh, Jessica is happy to find out this guy is the dad, but is supportive of Brie and how she feels. And basically, she calls this guy, and he is kind of shocked. And she, understandably, is like, why is he acting so surprised? Like, he reached out to me. (laughs) And basically, the guy's like, I don't really want to talk on the phone. Can we have some time? Oh, one thing I thought was really funny, she, like, calls him to tell him. Then she's like, do you need time to process this? And he's like... Yeah, I'd like some time low key. <laughs> it just sounded so silly. So he texts her and is like, hey, can we just, you know, talk? Can we text for now? And I think basically what they come to the conclusion is, is that like they're going to go really slow. They're going to send some pictures and maybe FaceTime and then see what happens. Brie is, I think, I think she's happy that he like wasn't jumpy up and down to be the dad. Because I don't think she really wants that. I think that her plan, I think she doesn't want to have to share custody, which I can understand. I don't fault her for. But I think she's also like, well, why did you reach out to me? Like, if you weren't 100% ready to, like, be this kid's dad. And I think that's how I would feel. But yeah, Brie has been a little bit of a disappointment, to be honest. Let's go on to who's not a disappointment, and her name is Rachel. Okay, although... I'm kind of wondering why they didn't just cast Mallory for this show. I guess they wanted pregnant moms to kind of go in with, like, so that's how the other uh, Team Mom Young and Pregnant stars started, that they were pregnant. So, like, I guess I get that. But to me, Mallory is the true star. 
I don't understand why we don't have cameras up on Mallory when she's going out dancing and when she's partying with her friends. Like, Rachel's kind of boring because (laughs) her life isn't boring, but her as a person is kind of boring because she's a newborn baby. And this whole episode, all she keeps saying is, like, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. And, yeah, I imagine she is because having a baby is, like, really hard and boring. But Mallory is like, a true nightmare, and she's been flipping out online a lot, basically being, like, I had drug addict parents, I was really young when I had her, I couldn't deal with it, but I've stepped up, and you guys should stop giving me hate, and I would imagine it is hard if you, like, spun out of control for the first year of your daughter's life, and then you got your shit together, and a full year later, after this is filmed, basically, um, you're, like, getting shit, but, you know, you went on TV, (laughs) so, She is, Rachel's having a hard time because her mom was really supposed to help her with this baby, but her mom is basically raising her niece, Emerson. And Mallory comes by and drops the baby off again so that she can go dancing. And Rachel talks to her brother, Carter, and basically is just like, I'm alone all the time. Jacob isn't around. He hasn't been here in a while. I'm a little confused. Is anybody else a little confused as to why Jacob is choosing to father a baby? I guess I can't understand why a teenage boy would ever, like, choose to take on the burden of parenting if they were not 100% sure that that was their child. I just don't really get it. But basically the theme of this episode is that Rachel is essentially doing this all alone. She is tired and she is, like, feeling left out from her friends. And I think she just didn't understand, like, the crushing loneliness of being a parent to a newborn. Which makes sense, because how could she really, how can anybody, like, really know that before it happens? And her boyfriend doesn't want to hang around because he's bored, because he's 18 years old. (laughs) Oh, God. So, Jacob shows up, and I, I just, yeah. Rachel's mom asked about a DNA test, and Rachel's like, well, we're not doing that. Which I, like, you could have knocked me off my chair. I was like, excuse me? Rachel's like, look, uh, Drew isn't going to be around no matter what. So fuck Drew. I don't even want to know if this baby is Drew. Drew's. Jacob has agreed to be the dad. So why would we get a DNA test? And I'm like, (laughs) I guess, I wonder if Jacob signed the birth certificate. Um, I wonder if legally Jacob is the dad. Do we know? We should find that out. So basically the star of this episode and star scene of this episode is Mallory comes by and the mom whose name I don't know the mom needs Mallory to take the baby so that she can get some stuff done and Mallory is like well do you have formula and bottles for the baby and the mom is like are you fucking kidding me this baby lives at my house I take care of her every day like of course I have formulas and bottles for her Mallory is holding the baby and screaming at the mom. At what point, I can't even figure out, like, their fights escalate so quickly. But the ba- she puts the baby down and, like, gets in the mom's face like she's going to fight her. I was kind of hoping that they were going to physically fight because I'm a bad person, as I need to remind you guys constantly. And Mallory leaves with the baby. And the mom is just like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Mallory, the mom's like, I don't. Mallory doesn't deserve that baby. And Rachel's like, well, this is your fault because you keep enabling this, basically. Which is probably true, but, like, what do you do in that situation? Like, you know, I've thought this about Barbara. Like, 
what do you do when your child just like refuses to parent, but it's kind of, I mean, I guess what you do is you call CPS and you tell CPS that you're not willing to foster and they come and remove the child and put it in a stranger's foster. But like, I can't imagine doing that. I'm sure it's extremely hard as a grandparent that like there's this innocent baby that you don't want to take on the responsibility and care for, and you have no desire to parent a newborn baby. I guess Emerson's not a newborn. She's, like, almost a year at this point. But you have no desire to be in charge of raising your child's baby. But, like, there's a baby here, and the option is either you take care of the baby and you can watch the baby and make sure everything's okay, or the baby, you call, you have to call CPS on your family and then be involved in CPS and the baby goes off to stay with some stranger. Like, I think most people in that case, of course, would choose raising the baby, basically, but that means you're enabling your deadbeat child. Like, that's such a hard situation to be in. I really don't envy any parent that's in that decision, in that situation. Um, I actually, so... I had a friend, I'll keep it vague, but I had a friend who, when she, she was an addict and she was using and CPS got involved, of course, and her, you know, she lost, not her rights, but she got custody taken away and originally the custody went to her mom and she went to Florida to get sober and she didn't. This was years ago. Now she has custody back and she's had custody for I think she was, like, in Florida for basically, like, a year and then moved back and was able to regain full custody. And she fully raises the child now and has for years. Um, But I remember her mom wrote her this letter that she, like, let me read because it was my good friend. And in it, her mom wrote, you had to make, you put me in the position of having to say no to raising my grandchild because her mom still had a full-time job. She also was living with her mother, so my friend's grandmother, and her full-time caretaker. So even though her mom initially had to take the baby, she then had to give the baby to the uh, baby's other grandparents because she just could not, she just didn't have the time or money to be a full-time parent, you know, to a three-year-old. And I'll never forget reading that and the mom saying, like, how, I can't believe you put me in that position where I had to, like, give my grandchild away, basically. And, of course, she was able to go to her other set of grandparents and it all worked out in the end. But I had, like, never really thought about it like that. And I was like, yeah, damn. She, like, just, she just wrote about how it was, like, the hardest thing in the world to have to say no to giving her granddaughter a home because she just could not do it. And that's always really stuck with me the way that she wrote it in this letter. And it was really sad and heartbreaking. And I can't imagine being in a position. And she fortunately, when she made that choice, like there was another option. It was this child's other grandparents. And it was a safe and loving and great place for uh, this baby to be. But I I always think about that and just like how, how fucking hard that must have been. And I feel like Rachel's mom is in that position that like, it what what else she has to say yes she has to say yes to doing it so Rachel is like I'm just never gonna be like Mal I'm just never gonna be like Mal I'm just never gonna be like Mal and you know for Rachel's sake I hope that is true okay so Ashley Ashley and Barr have broken up and she tells T about it and T's like well what finally made you do it and Ashley is having the problem that you know Princess and I talked about that I've talked about over and over again is that Barr is just a loser and Ashley is not a loser. 
and her whole life is going to be just being pulled down by Barr. And I think she knows it. And I think that she goes through phases where she's willing to talk about it and accept it. And she goes through phases where she can't even acknowledge it. And I think right now she's in a phase where she's talking about it and accepting it. And she just doesn't want to be with him. So Barr is still, you know, she still wants to hang out uh, with Barr, with Holly, so that things aren't wrong with Holly. And they get in the car Bar turns off the cameras, which I found like ooh, a scary and ominous concerning their uh, relationship history. But of course, we could still hear on their mics. And I definitely, I <laughs> really felt for Bar in this scene. And this is something that I'm like talking to my friends about all the time. I'm a big proponent of like, if you break up with someone, like fucking break up with them. Like I have had so many friends. I've done it too, where you're like, oh, I'm not together with them. But like you still fuck them. You still see them all the time. Like you're together. <laughs> like you two are a couple. Like you can say all fucking day that you're not engaged or whatever. But if you're still fucking him, you're still hanging out and you're still spending all this time together with your kid and him, like you're together. And bars, like, I just don't understand. Like, why are you acting like I'm still we're still together if you don't want me to be your fiance. And she's like, because I love you and we've been together four years and it's just not that easy to turn it off, which fair enough is true. But like when Barr's saying like, well, I'm confused, like I actually don't blame Barb there because I would feel the same way. I thought the kind of funny thing about this whole problem, and I think (laughs) Barr just like expresses it out loud. He goes out to lunch with his friend, And by the way, Holly was so fucking cute in this scene because Holly's there with them. And Holly's like kind of demanding food and Barr is like, by the way, Holly's like under two in this scene. Holly is incredibly smart. Um, But Holly is demanding food and Barr's like, no, you have to wait till I like cut up the food and I take a bite. And then she turns to his friend that's sitting there and she goes, uncle, uncle. Like, asking for food from uncle, and he, it was so funny, he's like, don't get me in trouble, and then she starts laughing, like, Holly is so smart and cute. Oh, I love that little baby. But, uh, Barr says to his friend, like, well, you know, she just needs to see some changes in me, and his friend's like, well, what does she need to see? And Barr goes, you know, like, get a job and get a GED, and his friend, the look on his friend's face was like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) I could tell his friend was like, you are a fucking idiot. Like, Barr was just, like, saying he was a fuckboy out loud. He's like, well, I don't really understand what changed, you know? She just wants me to do some stuff. It's like, she wants you to get a fucking job. (laughs) Oh, my God. I did like when they were fighting and Ashley was like, you're confused. I'm confused why I have a boyfriend who sits at home all day playing Fortnite Why I go to fucking work every day. I was like, yes, Ashley. (laughs) And this is going to always be the problem with Barr and Ashley. Princess, like, laid it out perfectly that they are going to stay together forever. They're going to break up. They're going to get back together. And it's always going to be just Ashley going to work, Barr not going to work, her dragging his ass through life, like, because they're best friends. And she's not going to be able to get away from that. I really worry. Yeah, but I just loved when his friend was like, what the fuck? What the fuck? All right, let's talk about Kayla. Do we find Luke, is it just me or is Luke, like, very low energy? (laughs) I guess he's just, like, calm, mild-mannered. But, like, I feel like every scene we've had of him this season, he's, like, curled up in a little ball on the couch being, like, yeah, babe, 
Okay, babe. I'm like, we are filming. Come on. But basically, Kayla wants to meet with Stefan and talk to him about, like, I I guess, like, getting a schedule. Apparently, Stefan hasn't seen Isaiah in three months. And considering Isaiah is, what, 18 months? Like, that's a long fucking time to not see this kid. According to Kayla, I said Gala. According to Kayla, um, there have been multiple times where they arranged to see, for Stefan to see Isaiah, and he just bailed last minute. And Kayla really feels like she needs to make the effort into meeting up with Stefan, basically, like, pleading her case for him to be a dad, and she wants to do it without the baby there. Uh, She, I think, is really starting to think uh, what it's going to be like for Isaiah to live with Luke, Kayla, and a new baby. And Isaiah, once he understands that the baby has a dad and my dad isn't in the picture, like, I think... I think Kayla's right to be concerned about that. Uh, there is a scene in this episode where Kayla goes, well, you know, when the new baby comes. I just, this made me laugh. It's very, Kayla 101. She's like, well, when the new baby comes and the new baby calls him dad, like, if Zay wants to call him dad, like, he's going to call him dad. <laughs> Which is fair and true and I don't, I don't know. I don't think Kayla's wrong. Like, if her and Luke are in this for the long haul, then, like, God bless Luke. Let Zay call him dad. Let him be dad. I just, I worry about any not even official step-parent relationship taking on such a strong role in a child's life who's already had the abandonment of one father. Uh, Kayla is basically talking to Luke, like, well, I just want to see him. I want to meet up with him. And I want She's like, nobody else would go and do as much as I do for Stefan and Isaiah. And Luke is like, well, as long as he's respectful of you and of Zay, we have no problem. Um, I do like the idea of, like, Luke beating the shit out of Stefan. Because Luke is, like, big. Luke is hot, first of all. Like, I I think. I I mean, it's kind of hard to tell because, as I said, he, like, always has, like, a hoodie, like, tied up super tight and then, like, a blanket wrapped around his face. But from what we can see of uh, Luke, he's cute. Also... They're waiting on an offer from school because the D1 basketball thing is happening, so they can't make any plans, which seems like a weird thing to say when you're pregnant. <laughs> right? Does that seem like a weird thing to say? <laughs> ay, 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 ay. So she says that she's another weird thing to say when you're pregnant. She tells her friend, she gets a pedicure with her friend, and she's like, I'm super overwhelmed. I quit my job at the makeup store because I didn't have anyone to watch Isaiah. And I'm like, you probably quit your job at the makeup store because Fashion Nova pays you more to take pictures on your Instagram. But you say what you need to say because we have not broken the fourth wall here. (laughs) Um, She's like, I lost my identity as a person. I'm only a mom. I'm overwhelmed. I don't get any me time. And once again, I'm like, so why the fuck are you having another baby? I really, truly can't understand why Kale is having another baby. Like, is it bad to say? I don't know. Kayla is like a literal, I think I already said this in every other episode this season. <laughs> Kayla is an actual perfect example of uh, like a good choice to get an abortion uh, when you're already a parent. Like Kayla is already in over her head. She is, she's in a new relationship. While it may be stable now, like he has some big hopes and dreams when it comes to basketball and moving. She has a little baby who the dad is not involved at all. She has no one to babysit him ever. She didn't get to, she can't go to school. She had to drop out of school. 
She apparently can't go to work because she can't get childcare. She ha- feels like she has no identity. Her whole identity is taking care of her child. And it's like, this is all only going to get worse when you bring another baby into this. That's what's crazy to me. Like, hearing the way that she's speaking, knowing that this whole episode, listening to everything she says in regards to parenting and Luke and everything like that, and then remembering that she's pregnant is just, it's just a whole nother level for me. It's just crazy. All right, let's go on to last but not least, Kaya. Okay, first of all, thank you to everyone who let me know that Kaya's girlfriend is pronounced Tiaza. Tiaza? Tiaza. I think it's Tiaza. Tiaza. I'm still having trouble with it. I don't, like, I don't know why it's so hard. That one name I'm really stumbling on. Um, But I really like her. I really like Tiaza. I'm Tiaza. This is not good. Hold on. I'm going to say it, Tiaza. So I really like Tiaza. I think she's really nice. She's sweet. I thought it was cute that we got like <laughs> a little scene of them like walking on the waterway, like slow-mo holding hands, looking happy. <laughs> Basically, Kaya's going to have the baby next episode. She's a week away from her due date. The doctor doesn't want her to go past her due date at all. Um, so she's having the baby soon. And Xavion is still in jail, and ever since the drama with his mom happened, Kaya's been making a bigger effort with Xavion to, like, pick up the phone and talk to him and tell him what's going on, and I thought, good for you, Kaya. I think she understood, like, well, if I'm not going to be talking to his mom and giving his mom any information, then, like, I need to be talking to him. Basically, the court, his court date is until after her due date, so he definitely will not be there. They're waiting to find out if he's going to get sentenced as a juvenile or an adult. And I believe I read online today that he's going to be in jail until 2023. So that's sad. Um, but, you know, it, like, it, it's sad. It's sad. But I don't think Kaya's, I think, <laughs> I think it's kind of best case scenario for, scenario for Kaya in a way. Because she can have a dad that's kind of in the picture and she can talk to him, but she doesn't really have to consult with him for any parenting. There doesn't really have to be drama with him for the first four years of the baby's life. I don't know. I think that this could be worse for Kaya, is what I'm saying. So we get a scene of Carla talking to Xavion. And I gotta say, like, Carla's a character I want to see more of. Look, do I know she tried to fight a pregnant girl? Like, yeah, I know. But there's something endearing about her. Like, there's something that, like, draws my eyes to the screen when she's on it. Basically, they talk about the fact that Kaya has been calling him and keeping him updated. And Xavion is just hoping that her soulmate doesn't get in the way and be disrespectful. Uh, I think that this is another place where there's going to be issues. So it might be better that he's in jail. I think that he is understandably or not, having trouble with the fact that she has already picked a second parent for this child, and that second parent is Tiaza, and Tiaza, this is so bad. I don't know why. I think it has something to do with, I don't know. I don't know why I can't say her name. I feel like a fucking idiot. But I think that he has trouble with Tiaza being the second parent, and he doesn't get the option to be the second parent. And I think if he was at home there would be a lot of battling about that. Basically, the episode ends with Tiffany, Kaya's mom, who I really like Tiffany. Tiffany has a very calming presence to her. She reminds me a lot of... 
who does she, I guess maybe Pastor T in a way in that she seems wise but calming, like at least like early pre-Shen, pre-interacting with Shen Pastor T. <laughs> um, but Tiffany basically is like, we have to try again with Carla, like she has to be part of this baby's life. And she reaches out and Carla is really polite and remorseful and says she's been thinking about them. My issue with this scene was that they had Carla on speakerphone and it was not a clear reception and they didn't put subtitles. Like, I think anytime somebody's on speakerphone on TV, they should put subtitles. It's hard to hear yourself when someone is on speakerphone, like when you're holding the fucking phone in your hand, but it's really hard to hear on TV. So it was a little hard for me to hear what Carla was saying, which is annoying, but they had a good conversation. Uh, Tiffany said that she felt like Carla was remorseful and basically tells Kaya that she is going to be the bridge, um, that she wants things to be cordial and she's willing to be the bridge between Carla and Kaya. And Kaya starts to cry, and I actually, like, really, really understood what Kaya was saying here. She was like, I feel like I look so mean because I'm not letting the grandmother come around, but I don't trust her, and she has hurt me, and I, like, I totally got it. Like, if Kaya went on, like, a Reddit advice sub and, like, wrote up what Carla did, everyone would be like, go no contact, never talk to her again, she doesn't deserve to ever talk to you. Like, that's not realistic for most people in real life, right? It's not, like, it's hard advice to follow through with. And I think Kyle, like, desperately does not want Carla to be in her life or be part of this baby's life and doesn't know how to say to her mom, like, no, this is my child and I get to decide who is in this child's life. And I think Tiffany has the best intentions and, like, wants to do what's right, even though it's, like, not necessarily right. So... I really felt for Kaya when she started crying because she's hormonal. She's about to have a baby and she just wants to protect herself and her family. And I, I got that. I I like Kaya. I think Kaya's very sweet. Um, she's like sweet energy to me. She just seems so young and nice and her girlfriend is really nice and her mom is really nice and I like watching them. All right, that's it for this week. I hope you guys have a great rest of the week and I will talk to you next week. Bye. This has been an episode of Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Executive producers Molly McAleer and Liz Bentley. Produced by Nicole Matthews. Special thanks to Sarah DiGiovanna for our logo. Head on over to our Patreon page for more rewards. www.patreon.com slash ebpsychode